Proverbs 31, verses 10 through the end. Hear the words of the Lord. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. These are the words of the Lord. It's astounding the amount of books and Bible study curriculum and resources that have been printed over the, especially over the last few decades on the very theme of this closing section of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 31. A whole cottage industry has kind of come up around this in producing material for Christian women on, on how to be like this template that's presented for us here at the end of this wisdom literature in Proverbs. Look at some of the titles of some of the books that have been written catered to Christian women. Secrets of the Proverbs 31 Woman. The Complete Proverbs 31 Woman. Proverbs 31 in five minutes a day. Very attainable. 21 days to becoming a Proverbs 31 woman. Imagine that. Three short weeks, you could be her. Becoming a modern Proverbs 31 woman. That's just a small sampling of the titles. There are many there. You've probably done some of these Bible studies or others about Proverbs 31. Here is what I've discovered over a few decades in ministry now, and actually having had oversight of some women ministries and women ministry teams uh, that were under my direct reporting structure in other 
time frames and past ministry lives, here's, here's what I've discovered. This passage, Proverbs 31, or the virtuous woman, the woman of valor, the woman of strength, whatever you want to call it here, what's listed here has been used to set an unrealistic, high standard, high bar for Christian women to attempt to reach. It's been presented as an impossible to-do list, an impossible checklist of virtues and attributes and attitudes that should typify a Christian woman, a godly woman. It has been a compendium of unattainable metrics, goals that are beyond the grasp of any mere mortal woman. In fact, the way she's been presented is that she'd have to be Wonder Woman in order to achieve these things. What has this done except place an enormous burden on the shoulders of women to try to match up? Because what's presented here is is this model of perfection. It's not just an excellent wife. It's the excellent wife. Like, this is it. This is the pinnacle of what that would look like. She, She is Wonder Woman. She has to be. I mean, we just read some of the amazing things that this woman is able to do. She's awesome. And, like, everyone knows it because they're praising her for it. She cooks for the entire household, including her servants. She makes all of her clothes by hand. How many of you are doing that? Anyone working with wool and flax lately? All right. She's a textile merchant. She's an entrepreneur. She owns property. She evaluates and assesses property. She's a landowner. She's planting vineyards. It says that she is up early before the crack of dawn and she's in bed really late. She never sleeps. She's an economic powerhouse. She's running charitable organizations and taking care of the poor and hungry and needy in her community. She is amazing. So how do you measure up to her, ladies? But here's what I find Just even more amazing when I read this passage is, where's her husband? What's that fool doing? Because she seems like she's doing it all, man. He's like a couch potato with the remote in his hand or something because she's doing everything here, man. So does this chapter represent a checklist for godly women with which to measure themselves against? Is Is that how we're supposed to interpret this? This is how we're supposed to look at this passage and go, this is how I have to apply this to my life. Is this a job description for women? Job description for what a wife, a Christian wife, a godly wife is supposed to be. Because most women, I can assure you, who read this passage, find it challenging and extremely difficult to even relate to her. Because if it is a checklist, then it is extremely intimidating. For women, for wives, for moms. The expectations of the Proverbs 31 woman hang over the head of so many women, weighing them down with condemnation because of their inability to measure up to the standard that has been presented or how this passage has been interpreted. Then I have to ask myself, because this isn't God's word, does this have any value for men? 
Is there any takeaway for us dudes here? If this is all about this excellent wife and what a godly woman is supposed to be, then can we just check out when we read this chapter because this is only about women. That's why there's so many books catered to women. We don't hear them talking about the Proverbs 31 dude. Proverbs 31 manhood. You don't see that, right? Is it then perhaps a shopping list for single young men? You know, that this is the perfect woman that they are to be looking for. So, you know, instead of having all these other attributes that you might be interested in, make sure that these qualities that we just enumerated are found because that's the perfect woman. That's the model. That's the template. The challenge in all of those types of interpretations, brothers and sisters, that if that is the way to interpret this passage, that means that this woman actually exists. That you can be this woman, you're supposed to be this woman, and young men are supposed to be able to find this kind of woman because she's out there. She's not just a unicorn, okay? She's real. She's real. So in order to understand this passage, we've got to do like we've done in Proverbs. We read and how we study the scriptures. We read it in context. We want to understand many of the exegetical tools that we use to, to, to interpret a passage and study a passage, we have to apply here as we've been doing through Proverbs. We have to understand the book. We have to understand the context in which this passage finds itself in. So going back to our beginning here a little bit in the context, who is this book addressed to? Who is this book written for? It was written for Solomon's sons, wasn't it? They're the primary audience of this book. These are lessons from a father to a son. They are instructional in nature. A father's trying to teach his son about the ways of wisdom, to pursue wisdom. This is what it looks like generally and how it works out in the world for those who follow the path of wisdom and the way of wisdom. Now, there are a lot of things that a woman can read in this book and should and walk away from, things that, that would show you how to be an excellent wife and just how to conduct yourself and behave yourself like just a wise person, a wise woman, a wise man. There's so many instructional things in Proverbs. But it wasn't originally written to women, was it? It wasn't. doesn't mean you can't learn from it. I'm just saying it wasn't written for women. It wasn't written for young women to teach them how to be an excellent wife. This book is first and foremost for the princes of Israel. These were the young men working in the royal court of Israel's nobility, the sons of Solomon, a training manual on basically how to rule, how to govern themselves, and then in, in, in order to be able to govern the people of God. But now we come to this last section, and if you recall the way back, Solomon's not the only one writing here in Proverbs. The bulk of Proverbs are the Proverbs of Solomon, the lectures uh, from Solomon to his sons, but there are other writers here. And this last section here, Proverbs chapter 31, is considered the seventh collection in the book of Proverbs. And it has been attributed to someone by the name of King Lemuel. King Lemuel. You'll see him uh, listed there in the first verse of Proverbs 31. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Now we don't know who King Lemuel is. We don't, we don't have any idea because he's not referenced anywhere else in the Bible, and uh, he's not one of the kings of Israel. I and mean, you go back and you read the Chronicles, you read Kings, you will not find his name 
listed there. It is highly, highly likely, and many scholars believe this, that, that King Lemuel, his family, were converts to Israel's faith. At some point in history, this was is this an actual figure uh, who, who converted, was a proselyte of Israel's faith and religion and practice. And so this instruction is found here and has been added to the canon of Scripture, but specifically to wisdom literature because of how it, how it fits here. All right? um, and what he's doing here, he says it's an oracle that his mother taught him. He's recounting here a lesson from mom. Isn't that great? Moms to hear that this king later on in life is now teaching others what his mom taught him. So have faith. The kids may not be listening right now. You think they're not. But hopefully they will grow in the ways of wisdom, right? And later on, we'll find them instructing others in things that you've taught them, right? This is, these are the internalized lessons that he learned from his childhood. And now he's transmitting them to others. So there are admonitions basically from the queen mother here to her royal son. Fascinating how Proverbs starts with lessons from, from a father predominantly and, and mothers also to a young son to, to grow in the way of wisdom. And now here Proverbs ends with, with lessons from a man, right, who has internalized and taken in the instruction of his mother and father and is now passing that on to others. It's a beautiful picture of maturity uh, and movement as we come to the end of Proverbs here. Now, there's two sections to chapter 31, verses 1 through 9, and then what we just read, 10 through 31. These first nine verses uh, are the admonitions that the mother's giving, and they're warnings. They're warnings to avoid specific types of intoxicating things that could debilitate the king from ruling effectively, okay? Uh, Things that would hinder his ability to govern righteously. And the first is that he needs to avoid the intoxication of unrestrained sexual gratification. Look what he says, she says to him in verse 3 that he's recounting, recounting, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Now, this word strength, do not give your strength is the same word that we looked at last week in Proverbs 12.4 of the excellent wife. Excellent. This is the same Hebrew word, ha'il. It's the same word we just read in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. Right? That word excellence, as we looked at last week, means strength. It means valor. It means competence. It means excellence, capacity, nobility. Okay? Don't give your excellence. Don't give your strength. Don't give your nobility, your competence, to women. Now, she's not arguing, thank God, for celibacy. She's not saying, dude, be a eunuch for the rest of your life. Don't even be with women. That's not what she's saying here. But she, he needs to avoid the kinds of women that we've looked at earlier in Proverbs. Right? One's to avoid the adulteress, the forbidden woman, the foreign woman, depending on what your translation says there. Her paths lead to hell. Right? Because he says, look, your ways to those who destroy kings... He has a way he should be going, but their ways are to destruction. And their ways lead to the destruction of kings. So he's to avoid that. He's also to avoid succumbing to drunkenness. You can read that in 4 and 5. Obviously, if he's intoxicated all the time and drunk, he's not going to be able to rule effectively. 
And then he's warned against intoxicants that can dismantle just decrees that protect the poor in verses 8 through 9. The point she's making is here is he needs to rule with restraint. He needs to rule with self-control, and he needs to rule with compassion. Okay? Don't give your excellence, King Lemuel, O king. Don't give your strength to things that will tax your strength, zap your strength, and ultimately destroy you. So that's the first part, and we're not going to spend any more time in that. But what is he to do instead? Well, instead of giving his strength to women that might lead him astray or to much wine or other things, what he is to do is give his excellence to an excellent woman. That's the second section of chapter 31. Now, the genre of Proverbs is poetry. It's poetry. It takes the style in in different ways, but it's, it's poetry. So we don't read and interpret Proverbs like we would the New Testament passages. They're giving us a list of indicatives and imperatives, right? Telling us things about the gospel, and here's a list of things to do, right? We don't read Proverbs like it's a manual of commands that we have to do. If we we try that, we're going to fail miserably in understanding this passage and many other things in Proverbs, because this is largely poetry. And this passage, 10 through 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, woman of valor, woman who fears the Lord, is a specific type of poetry called an encomium, encomium, E-N-C-O-M-I-U-M. It's a style of writing or speech that praises someone or something highly. It's extolling the virtues, extolling the just great things about an individual or a person. And that's what uh, the genre of chapter 31 is in terms of the poetic sphere. It is considered heroic poetry. Like heroic poetry that recounts the mighty deeds of a warrior or a, a a sailor or a general or some type of conqueror. This is the style of this writing. Notice the language used to speak about this woman. Because it's really key. And we miss some of this in our English translation But in its original language, as you read it and study it in commentaries and other literature, you'll see there's actually a lot of military language used here. These allusions to her strength are actually terms that are military in origin, used to speak of warriors and fighters and soldiers and generals and other things. We'll come back to that in a moment. This passage is a highly technical work of Hebrew poetry. It is an acrostic poem, and that's fascinating, okay? What that means is that the 22 verses of this particular passage each begin with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all the way from Aleph to Tav. It's the A to Zs of the woman of strength and valor. That should teach us something there. It's written like a poem, a particular type of poem, a heroic hymn, a heroic psalm, a heroic poem, and it's using a particular literary style to highlight particular characteristics that the writer here is praising about the excellent wife or this particular woman here. And this style of using the Hebrew alphabet this way, this acrostic poetic style here, is to give us an idea of fullness or completion. And you're going to find that in other parts. There's actually a lot of that in your Bible in the Old Testament. Particularly three psalms that that highlight that extensively are Psalm 112, Psalm 119, and Psalm 145. 
They all employ the same style. Now, we miss that in our English translation, but if you look in the Hebrew Bible, you'll see the verse actually begins with the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beth, Gimel, okay? It, it's, it's giving us the Hebrew letter, and the first, the first letter of that verse starts with that particular letter, all right? So that's important, and so this is a highly technical poem in the way it's written, okay? So that gives us a lot of clues on how we now begin to interpret this particular passage. What does it mean? Is it a template or is it something else? Notice the poem starts with a question. An excellent wife who can find. Now last week we looked at an excellent wife. Three particular verses, you know, Proverbs 12.4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14, a prudent wife is from the Lord. Okay? So super important, this aspect of a good wife, finding a good wife, was essential for a young son. This is what Solomon's instructing. You need to find a good woman. You need to find a wise woman. If you want to have success in life, don't go after those kinds. You know, here's what you need to look for. But can an excellent woman be found? And by that I mean the woman described in this passage. Can she? Well, truthfully, in this fallen world, nah. Now she, she can't be found. Not as she's described there. Now, does that diminish in any way the fact that she could be a role model to women and wives and young women, that she, they should strive to be like her and emulate her? Yes, she certainly can be that. And I think there is an, an ideal that is being set forth here. But we have to be careful here because the reality is, can you be her, ladies? Can you be her? No. Not in the fullness described here. Not in the perfection that's described here. At least definitely not apart from Jesus Christ. There's no way. There's no way. So what is it that we have here? If you've ever watched you know, a sequel to a movie, you notice that sequels generally have tons of callbacks and references to things that existed in the first segment of the movie, the first, first installment of that movie. There could be jokes that if you didn't watch the first movie, you'd miss the references. There could be characters that are referred to that only exist in the first. There are themes and plots and other things developed in the first part that might find a resolution in the sequels. When we come to Proverbs 31, this is how I want you to see what's taking place here. This is kind of a sequel with callbacks and references to themes that we've already looked at in Proverbs. I'm going to walk through some of those things in just a few moments. We find in the opening chapter of Proverbs, chapter 1, Solomon telling us how wisdom is to be acquired. Wisdom is acquired through the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise Wisdom. He's teaching his young son to look for wisdom, to pursue wisdom, to stay on wisdom's way and avoid the path of folly. What is the primary teaching tool that the father employs so that the son could learn to love wisdom? He personifies wisdom. He portrays wisdom as a beautiful, attractive, gorgeous, intelligent woman that if he commits to her and loves her and embraces her and treasures her and marries her, he will have riches and wealth and honor and life. This is what he says. 
He wants him to acquire wisdom, to stay on wisdom's way. Lady wisdom is who this young son should pursue and treasure. We find Lady Wisdom calling to the simple, calling to the young son, inviting him to enter her house, to feast with her. And, and, and Solomon's exhortation is, accept her invitation, respond to her call, enter her house, and find life and endless treasures. In chapter 4, the son is instructed to commit himself fully to wisdom, to love her and prize her highly, in essence, to marry Lady Wisdom. But is Lady Wisdom the only woman vying for the son's attention? The only one vying for his affection? No, there's another woman that is personified and presented. The personification of folly or foolishness is woman wisdom. Well, she's out there too. She's also extending a call out to the young man, to the simple. She's also extending an invitation to turn into her house and feast in, in, uh, with her. But she's very different to Lady Wisdom. She's loud and she's seductive. She uses flattery and smooth talks. She has honey lips, right? She's telling the young, the young man what he wants to hear. She's catering to his fleshly desires and his fleshly lusts. And if he enters her house, he's not going to find life. If he enters her house, he's not going to find riches and honor. It's death for her door is the very entrance to hell itself. And all of Proverbs is about these two paths. I told you from day one, when you read Proverbs, you always have to keep that in view. There's two paths, and only two paths, the way of wisdom or the way of folly. You're either following Lady Wisdom or you're following Woman Folly. You're either on the path of life or you're on the path of death. You're on the path of righteousness or you're in the path of wickedness and evil. Only two paths. And that's what's being presented. And Solomon is saying, choose Lady Wisdom. Same choice that is before each and every one of us today. Wisdom or folly. And the Lord calls us to choose wisdom. The entire spotlight of the book of Proverbs has been about Lady Wisdom. About pursuing Lady Wisdom. About being in her way, her path. Now, we come to the end of the book, should we expect something different now? A total change-up in the context of this book. No, I don't think so. Proverbs 31 is not a list of commands. It's not a checklist. It's not a to-do list. It's not a shopping list. It's a praise poem. It's a praise poem extolling wisdom's virtues. It's extolling what is praiseworthy and worth pursuing and worth giving our lives to. It's the capstone which brings all of these themes and proverbs together under this particular head here. It's showing us what happens when wisdom rules your life. Here's what it looks like when wisdom rules your life. It's a picture, it's a portrait of wisdom in action. A snapshot of a life lived on the path of Lady Wisdom. Because she is the excellent wife. Not an excellent wife, the excellent wife. What, we're gonna, what, we, what we have here in these, 10, these verses, 10 through 31, these 22 verses here, is a picture of an excellent wife that pulls in and puts into practice many of the major themes that we have spent weeks looking at. This is wisdom on display. 
This is what wisdom looks like that has now worked itself out in the life of this young man. It's wisdom demonstrated by right actions and right living. This is why this passage isn't just for women. And isn't just about women. It's for everyone. Men, women, married, single, young, old, right? Everyone can learn from this passage. If you embrace Lady Wisdom, if you stay on her path, if you commit yourself to the fear of the Lord, you will be blessed in this life and in the life to come in Christ Jesus. Pursue and commit yourself to wisdom, basically the way a young man would commit and pursue a perfect wife. That's the point here. Don't miss this, right? Otherwise, it becomes the impossible burden, the checklist, the measuring rod, and it's not meant to be that at all. Now, was this a tool used and set up in an idealized picture? Hey, yes. How many men would agree this is an awesome wife? And if you're smart, you say, oh, my wife really resembles that. <laughs> okay? You better do that. Is this a picture of what young men should look for? Yeah, young men, there are qualities here you absolutely should look for because that shows that this, there's a young woman out there who actually is pursuing wisdom and is making wise decisions. We talked about that a few weeks ago as well. Okay? There's lots of practical lessons you can tease out from all of this that can inform our life and help our life in many ways. However, that is not the primary point of this passage. So here's a simple outline, three-part outline we're going to look at in this passage here that, that show, I'm, going to, I'm going to show you calls back and references themes we've already looked at in Proverbs. The, the outline is simple. Her preciousness, okay, we're going to look at that in verses 10 through 12. Her productivity, verses 13 through 27, and her praise, 28 through 31. These are the virtues of wisdom. These are the actions of wisdom and the praiseworthiness of a life lived under wisdom's rule. Okay, first, her preciousness. Let's look at verses 10 through 12 here. First thing I want you to see is there, she's rare, which is why that question is asked. An excellent wife, who can find? If it was easy to find, they'd be everywhere, all right? They'd be numerous. Just throw a dart out there and you'd hit one, okay? Metaphorically, guys, right? <laughs> so, all right, so she's rare, but she's also of inestimable worth. She is far more precious than jewels. Where have we heard that before? Well, we've heard that about Lady Wisdom. We've heard that. Proverbs 8, 11, For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Solomon's reminding his son through all of that, saying, If you have wisdom, what else do you need? You have everything. There's nothing more valuable than possessing divine wisdom, godly wisdom, the fear of the Lord. She's also trustworthy. She won't fail her husband. The heart of her husband, Scripture says here in, in verse 11, trusts in her. That's an interesting phrase. He doesn't just trust his wife. It says the heart of her husband trusts in her. Now, we're already told in Proverbs where to put our trust in, and it's not in other people. Where are we told to put our trust in? In the Lord, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with what? All your heart. Why? Your heart is the command center of your life. 
So a heart that trusts in the Lord, what happens here? A heart that doesn't lean on to their own understandings, that acknowledges the Lord. God's promise is that he'll make our paths straight, our ways straight, the course of our life. Okay? We'll be set in the right direction here. She also enriches her husband. He will have no lack of gain. That word gain in the Hebrew uh, is the word for plunder. Right? Think about it. He'll have no lack of plunder. Well, who plunders? Right? This is like warfare. This is like warfare language here, right? It's winning the spoils of war. So I want to show you the way this woman is presented is kind of in, as, 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 like, as, a, as a warrior, right? As in, these, in this military language. Like she is, she's getting the plunder, right, for her family, Right? She's fighting on behalf of her family and comes back with the spoils of war. Okay? That's, that's the language used here of this portrayal, portrayal of Lady Wisdom. Proverbs 3.14. Again, we're reminded about wisdom. For the gain from her, the plunder from her, the bounty from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. You want good return on your investment? Don't invest in gold and silver. Invest in wisdom. Get wisdom. In all thy getting, get understanding. Solomon instructs his son. Proverbs 8.18. Riches and honor are with me. This is wisdom speaking. Enduring wealth and righteousness. This is gain that does not rot, is not susceptible to theft. This is the treasure that we're called to store up in heaven. That we do not Lose, that moth cannot corrupt, that thieves cannot break in and steal. Enduring wealth and righteousness. And she is a blessing all the days of her life to her family. Specifically here references to her husband. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Verse 12. That's what we know wisdom does for us. Proverbs 133. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure. And will be at ease without dread of disaster. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom doesn't harm. Wisdom doesn't destroy. Wisdom doesn't do evil. In fact, Proverbs chapter 2 tells us that wisdom, when wisdom comes into your heart, she will watch over you. She'll guard you. She'll deliver you from the way of evil and keep you from those of perverted speech and whose paths are crooked. That's the promise of wisdom there. Proverbs 3.18, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The picture here of Lady Wisdom is, is if you have her, if you're married to her, as long as she lives, she will do you good. And she will not do you harm. She will not do evil against you. You contrast that to woman folly. Oh, you might have a moment of some momentary fleeting pleasure, but then what's left on the other side of it? Destruction, devastation, defilement. Says that her door, her path, her house is slanted towards Sheol, the grave. What a difference. What a difference. She's precious. She's of great value and worth. This is why Solomon continues throughout the book here, and even here, King Lemuel telling us, here's who you need to pursue, here's who you need to marry. 
Here's what your life is need to be ruled by. Lady Wisdom. Lady Wisdom. These are the blessings of Lady Wisdom. Look at her productivity. Because this is wisdom in action. This is important to see here. Wisdom we've defined as the skill of living rightly. It's a skill. Okay? It's not just head knowledge. It's not just knowing things. We think of wisdom as just that. You know, just stuff we know to be true or right. But no, wisdom is not passive. It's active. And that's exactly what you see about Lady Wisdom here. This is what you see in this picture of, of an excellent wife here. Wisdom in action. And this is going to pull in, again, these themes that we've already studied. The first theme, and I've broken these down here, is she works hard. She's diligent. She's diligent. There is not an idle bone in her body, is there? You cannot call this woman lazy. There's a lot of women that you may be able to call lazy. This is not one of those. She's definitely not the sluggard that we looked at many, many weeks ago. Okay? She's not the sluggard, right? Proverbs consistently upholds the virtue of diligence and hard work. That's the way of wisdom. You want to achieve riches and honor and all of these other things? Well, it requires diligence. It requires hard work. There's nothing that's going to come easy to you in this life that is going to be of any worth. Okay? Look at the action words used to describe her activities. I mean, my goodness, she, she's opening her hand. She's considering a field. She rises early. She seeks wool and flax, right? She dresses herself with strength. She perceives. She puts her hands. I mean, she's in motion. She's in action continually, active, not passive. Her hands are productive, verses 13 and 19. She's cooking, verse 15. She's planting a vineyard in 16. Making her arms strong, that, that, that doesn't mean she's at the gym every day, pumping iron, okay? Though that's a good thing to do, right? But, but she's at least physically competent to carry out the task that she's doing. There's nothing to hinder her from doing what she's supposed to be doing and needs to be doing here, okay? Um, she's always working for the benefit of her family. She's tireless. Again, she rises while it is yet night, verse 15, and her lamp does not go out at night, verse 18. She never closes her eyes. Can you say that about your wife? She never closed her eyes. <laughs> Any women? I know you probably feel like you never close your eyes, especially if you have a lot of little ones probably, right? But you do get to sleep. Well, wisdom never sleeps. Right? The point here is, when wisdom is ruling, when wisdom is at work, she's always watching over you. She's always working for you. Okay? And that's an important concept here. Now, in contrast to the slugger that we looked at already in Proverbs, their life comes to ruin. They're completely uh, destroyed and impoverished because they don't work hard, because they're not diligent. So, again, that's a lesson for us. Wisdom says that we are to be diligent. Uh, we work hard. We're good stewards of the life that God has given us. The second theme here, she actually builds wealth. She generates wealth. She is an entrepreneur from what you can see here. She's making things to sell. She's engaging in trade and commerce. We find her evaluating uh, potential revenue from a piece of land that then she's going to buy and begin to uh, plant a vineyard, presumably, again, to sell the wine. 
Through her diligent hard work, she's generating wealth, and she's improving and increasing her family's economic outlook. Now, this, this passage, you know, again, has been used. I like, let's modernize this. That book I mentioned earlier, the, the way to look at the modern Proverbs 31 woman, I was going to read you the lengthy description and blurb on that book because it was kind of laughable. But one of the things that it states there, well, the, because the modern woman is no longer like the homemaker of this time, because now she is, you know, she's an athlete, she's running businesses and doing this and doing that or other. That's, that's not saying that a woman cannot do those things. Don't misunderstand it, okay? But this is not a call for women to be entrepreneurial. This is, again, wisdom in action. When wisdom rules your life, it's generally going well for the individual married to wisdom. That's what we're seeing here, okay? So she's, she's, she's doing these things. She's, she's making money. She's an economic powerhouse. Proverbs sees wealth as a blessing from the Lord. The person who is righteous, and remember righteousness in the Bible here had to do with doing what is morally right, right? Saying things that are morally right, doing things that are morally right. For that person, generally, things are going to go well from them. There will be blessings. There will be favor bestowed on them. And Proverbs always sees that as coming from the Lord. Proverbs does not look at blessings or material wealth and possessions as something evil or wrong. It is if you trust in them, because we see that in Proverbs. It is if you put all your confidence in that, and you don't plan and prepare, right? That's another issue here. But generally speaking, wealth is seen as a blessing from the Lord. It is the consequence of a righteous life in Proverbs. You'll see that in chapter 10, verse 6. In fact, 10.22 tells us that the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that here. So this picture here that we're getting of, of lady wisdom in action in the life of someone whose life is ruled by wisdom, this is how things are going for them. They're going generally well. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Okay? That's the pattern set forth for us in Proverbs. If we're diligent, if we work hard, right? If, if we do the step-by-step, gathering little by little, saving, increasing, investing, putting it away, right? We're building wealth. Well, she builds wealth, right? And that's what, what is being uh, admonished and extolled here. A third theme that emerges here is she plans for the future. The slugger doesn't plan for the future, right? The lazy person was told back in chapter 6 to consider the ant. Because now you gotta, you're, you're sluggard, you're lazy, you're not diligent, you don't work hard, so now you need to take a lesson from the smallest creature on the planet here. Learn from the ant. What does the ant do? Gathers in the summer to prepare for the winter when they're not going to be able to find food. Okay? The lesson being there what? Prepare. Prepare for the lean seasons. In chapter 10, we're told that the prudent son is the one who gathers in the summertime. Because in the wintertime, if he hadn't done that, his family will starve to death. Right? There's prudence in preparing for the future. There's prudence in planning. We're told here about this woman here in verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household. What does that mean? Who's afraid of snow? Well, the point is... 
She's not afraid of how cold it's going to be because she's prepared for it. Her little ones, her, her main man, people of her household are clothed in scarlet. That word in Hebrew actually means double thickness or double lined. All right? Basically, she's got nice wool or fleece clothing you know, for her family. They're not going to freeze in the wintertime. What has she done? She's prepared. In the summer, she was busy. I don't know what you do on those machines, but she's doing it. She's sewing. She's cutting. Man, she's, and she's, she made clothes for them that is fit for the season that they're going to find themselves in. Right? She's taking care of them. Right? She's not afraid of the future. Right? Again, Proverbs 133, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease. She's not afraid. She's prepared for the future. Not just for when it's good. We should prepare for, you know, believing times are still going to be good for us. But we especially need to prepare for when times are not going to be good for us. Because if there's one thing you and I can guarantee about the future is that we will face difficulties, obstacles, and hindrances along the way. There will be difficult times and seasons in our life. We got to be ready for those. And she's ready. She's fearless. And what is it that makes her fearless? It's wisdom. Wisdom makes her fearless because she's ready. She has prepared. But the fool, the fool doesn't plant. Plan. The fool doesn't plant uh, at the right time and doesn't reap the harvest at the right time. They're sleeping and slumbering when they should be gathering and collecting. Don't store up for the leaner times. And are not prepared for the bumps and difficulties of life. The wise person doesn't just live in the moment. The wise person doesn't eat their seed. But understands they need to continue to plant and harvest and store up and prepare. Wisdom trains and teaches us towards that end. A fourth theme. She brings life and flourishing to her home. When you read this you see that everyone in the gravitational orbit of the excellent woman here. This woman who fears the Lord flourishes her husband her children her maidens any of you have maidens out there i'm always sure what a maiden is household servants right everyone's flourishing verse 27 she looks well to the ways of her household there is thriving in her home no one is languishing in this woman's house all of those who are nearest and dearest to her are benefiting from her hard work, from her labor, from everything she has set her hands to do. And she's using her strength now to build and and bring out the best in others. Because what do we find said about her husband in verse 23? Her husband is highly esteemed. Everyone knows him at the city gates. Everyone knows. And the implication here is this is a man of honor, a man to be respected and is directly tied to his relationship. His marital relationship here. Proverbs 10.7 says, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The memory of the righteous. The righteous, those who walk in wisdom, when they're thought of, when their name comes up in conversations, it's, it's a blessing. Because people recognize that their life has been marked by wisdom. Marked by the blessings of the Lord. This is what wisdom does. Fifth, she is generous. See, it's not just her household that benefits here. We find that that blessing extends out from her, from her home, from those in, in her immediate proximity to the community at large here. The whole community flourishes. Verse 20, 
she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. We talked about this a couple months ago. But we're called to live open-handed. God brings material blessings our way. He blesses us. That's not for us to hoard. That's not for us to eat and consume all ourselves. It's to live open-handedly. It's to be generous. Okay? This is what we find her doing here. Verse, uh, verse 20. She opens her hands to the poor. She's not holding back. She's not tight-fisted and stingy. She sees there's needs around her, and she blesses. She shares bread with the poor. These same hands that, that, that work to provide for, for her family, that work to produce for her home, are also available and open to bless the poor and needy. The fool, not the fool, the fool's not generous. The fool's a miser. The fool withholds. The fool sees there's a need and says, not me. I'm not helping my neighbor. Wisdom teaches us, though, the way of generosity. Another theme, very important when we looked at, related to our speech. She speaks wisdom. She speaks the language of wisdom. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongues. This woman here portrayed to us is the reflex of Lady Wisdom. Proverbs 8, 6, and 9. Here is what wisdom says. Hear, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. This are the words of the person whose life is ruled by wisdom. This is our speech. Her speech here is qualified by wisdom. And where does that wisdom come from? That wisdom comes from the Lord. It comes from His Word. That word there, teaching, uh, that we find there, the teaching of kindness, that word teaching is the word Torah, which means instruction, specifically instruction on the law of God. All right? This is what's on her lips, the law of God, the word of God. And it's the teaching of kindness. Now, there's a general kind of kindness in view, but this, this uses the word hased. Hased is always used of the covenant love of God towards his people, the steadfast love of God towards his people here. So this is, this is showing us something a little bit more profound than just being generally kind to one another. Her words are graced with the word of God. Her speech is the truth of God, the truth of God's word. This is what she is speaking to others. It's what's flowing from her lips, speaking wise words. What she doesn't use is the words of the adulteress or the forbidden woman, right? The flattery, the smooth talk, the seductive speech. That's not on her lips. It's wisdom. It's wisdom. That contrasts that with the fool that we've talked about before, who's, who are hot-tempered or quick with their tongue and biting language, who use words to tear others down and not build them up. Uh, wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of knowing when to speak, right? Saying the right thing at the right time, right? At the right occasion, as fits the occasion. This is what she does here. It's her productivity. See, these are all themes that we've already looked at in Proverbs here. And now we just kind of see that all just kind of brought together in this last and final picture 
put together of lady wisdom. And now we see her praiseworthiness. She's praised by everyone. She's praised in her household. And she's praised by everyone in the community. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. It's a beautiful thing. It looks great on greeting cards and you know, little things said on Mother's Day. And that's wonderful. But think about that picture. The life ruled by wisdom in the home. That blessing of, of that reality extends future generations. There is a legacy of wisdom here in view where now children and children children are going, yes, we are blessed because of wisdom. Because wisdom rules here. Her husband also, and he praises her. Look what he says. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Right? Those who know her best, those who know her intimately, what are they doing here? They're singing her praises. They're singing her praises. Why? Because she's blessed them in so many ways. Her husband can say, yeah, there's a lot of good women out there, but I've got the best of the best. That's what, he, that's what he's saying there. Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Right? This is what's happening here. Person whose life is ruled by wisdom, other people are going to praise that. They're going to see the results of the blessing of God in the life of that person who's walking in the way of wisdom, and they will extol them. They will extol those virtues and praise this individual. Verse 31, And let her works praise her in the gates. This is another callback to Lady Wisdom here, who we find crying aloud at the gates in Proverbs 8, verse 3. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. That's what Wisdom is doing at the gates of the city. So she's not only praised privately at home by her children, her husband, she's also praised publicly by others. She's praiseworthy. But ultimately, the highest thing that can be said of her The most noteworthy thing that she could be praised for is that she possesses what is the key theme of Proverbs. What is that? The fear of the Lord. This is a woman who fears the Lord. Verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And that line always reminds me of a DC talk song, which I almost burst into singing right now. But she incarnates the key theme of this book, brothers and sisters, the fear of the Lord. We saw that in 1-7. It's what sets her apart from everyone else. This woman is in right relationship with the Lord. This woman possesses the fear of the Lord. Therefore, she has wisdom. Proverbs 9-10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This key theme, the fear of the Lord, is the bookends of this entire wisdom literature here. Right on the front and right on the back end. Everything else is sandwiched. All these other themes are sandwiched in between this reality of the fear of the Lord as the beginning and foundation of wisdom. That puts everything else in perspective here. He says, charm is deceitful. Beauty is fleeting. It's vain. Now, remember who this is written to. If this was really, you know, think about it right here because of who this is addressed to as young men, and this is why this is so profound. Because young men typically are going to be looking for what? Good-looking woman, an attractive woman, a beautiful woman, a charming woman. 
right? A woman who tells him things she, that he wants to hear. He wants to be told he looks good, he looks handsome, he's awesome, he's strong, he's smart. Men are particularly attracted to these superficial attributes like charm, like beauty. Not that necessarily those things are bad, they're just not foundational things. Charm is deceitful. We know that because there are some women who, on the surface, are extremely charming. But there are some nasty, ugly personalities behind that. That charming little tongue. Someone must have popped into your mind right now. And beauty is fleeting, isn't it? Nobody agrees with that. It is. It is. Why? You wrinkle. (laughs) Body parts succumb to the gravitational forces of our planet and start heading south. It's fleeting. You know, that word fleeting is hevel. It's used in Ecclesiastes. Vapor. It's a mist. It's something that that you cannot grasp because it's going to slip through your fingers like smoke. So those cannot be foundational things in life. Those aren't things you can base your life upon. Young men, that's not the only thing you should be looking for in a prospective mate. Yes, you want her to be charming. Yes, you want her to be attractive and beautiful. No, the, 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 they're not saying here she should be irritating and ugly, all right, as the opposite. That's not the point here. It's that those other things are not ultimate things. They aren't the most important things that one needs to, to look for. Outward beauty. Re- those things are relatively worthless traits compared to what is of greatest importance, the fear of the Lord. That's what matters here. She's precious. She's productive. She's praiseworthy. It's not a to-do list. It's not a shopping list. It's a praise him. It's an ode to Lady Wisdom herself. Yes, she is something to aspire to. We want to learn from wisdom. We want to grow in wisdom. Ladies, she is worthy of emulation. I'm not saying ignore that completely. No, that is held up before us for a reason here. But she's not presented in the book as a benchmark to discourage women. She is presented here, brothers and sisters, as as a vision to inspire a pursuit of wisdom. To have wisdom rule your life. And in doing so, this is the outcome, generally speaking. The beginning of the book, Lady Wisdom is calling out from the highest places in the town. She's sending out her invitation to the simple. She wants the simple to turn from their simple ways and to enter into her home, to feast with her, to dine of her choicest meats. Her table is set to eat of her bread, to drink of her mixed wine. And to live, and to live and walk in the way of insight. And here at the end of the book, we have a happily ever after. Here is what it looks like when the simple man turned into Lady Wisdom's house. He chose the path of wisdom, and he took wisdom as his wife. And this passage should drive us to the fountainhead, to the source of all wisdom, which is Jesus Christ. What do we have here in this passage? The incarnation of divine wisdom presented as an excellent wife, the woman of valor, a woman of strength, a woman who fears the Lord. But we know this of Christ. Christ is wisdom itself. 
Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He is wisdom incarnate. In him, scripture tells us, are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2. Who is it that you and I need to have a relationship with? Who is it that you and I need to be to embrace and to commit to and choose and marry, if not wisdom? Jesus Christ. He is who we need to have a relationship with. And if we have him, we get wisdom. Without him, there is no wisdom. If we have him, we have righteousness. If we have righteousness, we have the promises and blessings of the righteous. Here and in the hereafter. This call from Lady Wisdom that we've looked at extensively in Proverbs here, it's the gospel call. You, you need to receive it as such. It's the call of the gospel. It's a call to pursue Christ. It's a call to believe Christ, to trust Christ, to learn from Christ, to rest in Christ's perfect, complete, and finished work. It's a call to live out our lives, brothers and sisters, in wisdom, through the power of His Spirit, through the enablement of His Spirit. That invitation is for each and every one of us in this room. No one is exempt from it. Every one of us has been called with this gospel call here. And when we have Christ, we have these rewards. When we have Christ, we have all these blessings. For Christ is the treasure of inestimable worth. Christ is the one who will never fail us. He is the one who enriches us in every way. He's the one who blesses us every single day of our life and on into eternity. He never sleeps. He is tireless in making intercession on our behalf. He guarantees our salvation, our sanctification, our future glorification. Brothers and sisters, he has already planned in advance and prepared for you the awesome future he has for all of us. What's left to do then but to turn to him, to marvel at his beauty, to praise him for his excellency and perfection? That's the only response to the call. That's the only response to this vision of having wisdom rule your life, of having Christ rule your life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The one who fears the Lord is to be praised.